about you, it's about me. I'm so fresh and so clean. I'm the best thing that you ever seen. So I'm killing it. I'm great. I'm killing it. I'm awesome. I'm killing it. It ain't about you, it's about me. I'm so fresh and so clean. I'm the best thing that you ever seen. So I'm killing it. I'm great. I'm killing it. I'm killing it. Today, this series is mercifully coming to an end, and the reason I say that is because we've been talking about a subject that none of us want to talk about, and when you talk about it, then it's front and center, and you have to think about it all the time, and that makes you uncomfortable, and um, if you're anything like me, you go home and you're reminded every time uh, you mess up and this pops up, you're reminded, oh, there's that thing you've been talking about. Has that been happening? Just me. Okay, just me. But anyway... It's a thing inside of all of us. We've been talking about this thing inside of all of us that has the potential to wreck everything good around us. It's pride. It's pride. And we all know what it's like for pride to rattle around in our hearts. I, it's, we're not talking about the good kind of pride you have in your kids. You ought to have uh, you know, pride in your kids. That's a great thing. We're talking about that ugly thing inside of you that causes you to yell at your kids when they embarrass you in public. Because, again, it reflects on you, and so there's a little bit of pride there. We're talking about that uh, thing inside of you that causes you to overcoach or it caused you to overcoach your kids in sports. We've all seen that. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, You're great with every, all the other kids, but when it comes to your kid, you're pushing a little too hard because, again, they reflect on you, so it matters to you. It's that kind of pride that you and I have to deal with or it's going to wreck everything around us. It's, it's not the good kind of pride you have in your significant other or your spouse. It's the bad kind of pride that keeps you from admitting you've made a mistake and apologizing to them. It's not the good kind of pride you have in your work. You ought to have pride in your work. I hope you do such a good quality of work that you're proud of it. I hope that you, are, you work at an organization that you're so proud of the team, you're so proud of the culture. You know, you want to let everybody know about that. That's a good thing. I'm talking about the, the ugly thing inside of us that when you're at work and somebody you don't like fails, you secretly celebrate their failure. You know what that's like. We've all been there, right? There's something in you, and you know it's bad, and you don't want anybody else to see it, but inside of you, there's just a little glee. It's like, oh, I'm so happy that happened to them because they deserved it. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And as we talked about last week, there are a group of people who are more susceptible to this kind of pride than anybody else. And all of us, doesn't matter who you are, I just know this because this is because of where we live and, you know, who we've been blessed to be and have. All of us fall into this category of people who are more susceptible to pride. It's people who have a little bit more power. And by power, I just mean you've got a little bit more influence in others in some arena or some circle of your life. You've got in certain, when you're with certain people, you have decision-making authority. Everybody looks to you. Everybody wants to know what you think. Everybody lets you make the call. Okay, you're a little more susceptible to pride. It's those of us who are resourced with a little bit more than others. 
We've got a few more possessions. And as I said last week, the reality is that's all of us because there are people right here in our own communities that I could sit you across the table from them and you could talk about all the stress and trouble and you know, pressure you have and all the problems from, with all the financial world or you know, all your possessions. And when you got done, they would still love to trade places with you because you just got a little bit more than they have. So that, that creates something in us that makes us more susceptible to pride. And then it's those of us who have a little bit more prestige. And by that, I just mean you're admired by certain people. In certain circles, people are like, oh, I wish I was where they were. I wish I'd accomplished what they've accomplished. And again, that's true for most all of us. Those of us who are in those situations, we are more susceptible than other people to pride. It rattles around in our hearts, and if you leave it there, it will diminish you because pride is a prison. Pride locks you in, keeps you from getting where you most want to be, keeps you from experiencing what you most want to experience. Pride is a prison that locks you in, and it locks God and others out because when you're full of you, there's no room for anybody else. And so the secret, the secret, the key to being set free is humility. It's humility. It's so simple to see, but it's so hard to practice, isn't it? It's humility. And you know how you get to the point where you're willing to demonstrate humility? You understand something that last week we saw King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time when he lived, King Nebuchadnezzar, after years and years and years, finally discovered. You come to understand and embrace the fact that the Most High, not you, not me, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, including your kingdom and my kingdom, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. In other words, what you have is not your own. What you have is on loan to you from a good and a generous God. He's given it to you. He can take it from you. What you have is a stewardship, which just means I'm to manage it. You're to manage it. But we don't own it. It's temporary. And we are accountable. We're accountable. Now, today what I want to do is this. I want to talk about one more area that makes us most susceptible to pride. And all of us deal with this. It is a desire that all of us have. And hopefully over the next couple of minutes, I'll help you to see how you have this and where it may show up in your life. It's a desire to be known, the desire to be known. All of us have a desire to be known, and because of that, all of us are susceptible to pride. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, no, Matt, I don't have a desire to be known. I don't want to be famous. I'm not talking about being famous. That's a whole different deal, okay? Here's what I mean by this. All of us have a desire to be known as somebody or for something, All of us have a desire to be known as somebody or for something. In other words, you've never thought of it this way, but you are just like me. You wake up every single morning with an audience in mind. You wake up every single morning looking for and living for the applause of someone else. You wake up with an audience in mind. In other words, you wake up wanting to be known. This is what drives your behavior. You wake up wanting to be known by certain people as a certain type of person. You wake up wanting to be known as a person who's responsible. You wake up wanting to be known as a person who's a great leader. You wake up wanting to be known as a person who's successful or wanting to be known as the kind of person that can always be counted on. You're always dependable. You wake up wanting to be known as a great friend, a great husband, a great wife, a great son or daughter, you know, whatever the case may be, you, as a great parent. You wake up wanting to be known as a certain kind of person. It's what drives the choices you make and the things that you do. You also wake up every day wanting to be known by a certain audience for something, for a certain type of thing. You want to be known as being, hey, that, that person is caring. That's a person you can always go to and they'll listen. 
That's a person who's so driven, like they're not going to let anything stand in their way. They're persistent, they're tenacious. That's a person who always figures it out and gets the job done. That's a person who's a visionary. Boy, they set goals and they just blow it out of the water. They achieve it. That's a person that they're so compassionate. They're so kind. I don't know what the thing is for you. It's different for all of us. You can fill in the blank. But all of us wake up every day wanting to be known as a certain kind of person. We want to be known for a certain kind of thing. And that is not a bad thing. So don't misunderstand me. This desire to be known, I don't think it's bad at all. As a matter of fact, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, I think this was hardwired into us by our Heavenly Father. I think God created us with this desire. We need it as part of who we are. But when you and I began to pursue satisfying that desire, satisfying that appetite in an unhealthy way, in a way we weren't designed to satisfy it, that's when things go off rails pretty quick. That's when we end up in places full of pride, wrecking the people, wrecking the relationships, wrecking the things around us that we care about most. But it's in us from day one. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is pick a pool, any pool, go to any pool where there are kids, and just sit on the side and watch for about five minutes. And count the number of times you hear a little kid go, Mommy, watch. Daddy, watch. Mommy, watch. Daddy, watch. And, you know, the parent, eventually, they just they don't even look up. They're just like, yep, that was a great handstand, babe. That was awesome. Because they've done it 50 times. It's the same thing every time. So the parent doesn't even have to look. It's just like, yeah. But it's just hardwired into us to live and look for the applause of someone else. That kid's just showing up, living for an audience. They're, they're showing up, you know, looking for an audience. They're showing up with some, waking up every day with somebody else, with the audience in mind. And that audience happens to be their parents. Now, when we get older, we don't outgrow that. It just looks different. Your desire to be known, the way you're chasing being known, it just looks a little different. You're not going mommy watch, daddy watch. But you're doing the same thing in other ways. For some of you, it looks like this. It looks like being friended, followed, liked, and shared. This is what, yeah, this is what social media has done. It's just taken the desire to be known and put it out there for everybody to see. She's like, oh, for some of you, this is it. When you look on your phone at how many hours you spend on social media, you're like, that can't be true. But it's true. And you don't even realize it, but what's driving you spending so much time on social media, and there's nothing wrong with social media, but the, what's driving it for you may be this desire to be known. So the more you're friended, the more you're followed, the more you're liked, the more you're shared, the better you feel because it's satisfying, at least temporarily, this appetite or this desire to be known by somebody and to be known for something. Now, if you're thinking, this is not me, let me tell you, here's a question that'll help you know real quickly if you fall into this category. All you have to do is ask yourself, when's the last time someone else took your picture? If you can't remember, you fall into this category. If your selfie folder on your phone is bigger than any other folder, okay, you probably fall into this category. Now, some of you are going, that's not me. I don't do that. I don't care. Okay, okay. But it just shows up differently for the rest of us. Okay, it does. Your list looks a little more like this. Some of you, it's, you just want to be recognized, admired, in demand, and envied. You want to be recognized. In other words, you want to be able to walk into certain rooms and people know who you are. And as you go and as you're more successful or as you get to know more people and you walk into more environments and you're recognized by more people, it just feeds this appetite or desire to be known. It makes you feel better. For some of you, it's to be recognized for what you've done. And the more people recognize, oh my goodness, look how successful they are. Look what a great job they're doing. Look, look, look. The more people recognize certain things about you, look at what they have, 
Look at where they live. Okay, that, that gets their, your attention. That starts to feed this appetite to be known. Again, not a bad appetite. But if you feed it with the wrong things, it will never be satisfied. Same is true for being admired. Oh, look how much they've accomplished. I want to know what they think about this because look, look, look. I mean, the more you have people starting to come and ask you for your input, you start to notice this thing. If you're not careful, it starts to rattle around and you call pride because it's like, ah, oh, they, okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm known. I'm known. Same is true for being in demand. For some of you, this is big. As long as your calendar is full, as long as there's no breathing room, you actually feel good because it feels like I'm known, I'm known, I'm in demand. Everybody needs me for this, that, and the other. If you ever have any breathing room in your calendar and there's an opportunity to slow down, it bothers you, and you don't know why it bothers you. But the reason it bothers you is because it's causing you to question if you're as known as you want to be. It's causing you to question if you're still as needed. That's why some of you, you have actually structured your entire life where everybody around you needs you for something. You have, and it's unhealthy. But you've done it. You don't even see you're doing it. Matter of fact, you're saying, I'm just trying to be helpful. But you've actually done it where people can't get by without you. And the whole reason is because of this desire to be known. And none of us would want to say this, but we'd love to be envied a little bit. We'd love for other people to go, I wish I had, I wish I was, I wish I could. And again, it looks different. I'll give you some, some examples, and these may be extreme examples. You can figure out what this looks like and how it shows up in your own life. But for some of you, this is what's driving the choices you're making in terms of the car you drive. The re- way you keep your car so clean and so neat and you, know, you don't want anybody to scratch it and, you know, somebody makes a mess in it, you know, no, 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 and I'm not letting anybody ride in it. It's just, you know, my car. The reason you, you, you treat your car better than you treat people, which is actually a problem, but that's a sermon for another day. But you treat it so well and you th- you've got all these good reasons, good sounding reasons why you do you got all these good-sounding reasons why when you show up at the store, you park at the back of the parking lot where, you know, nobody's around, and you, you park the car sideways across three different spots. You ever seen anybody do this? It's like, again, it's like, I just don't want to get scratched. No, you want everybody to notice. You want to be known as the person who has that. You drive that, and you take care of it in that way. For some of you, this desire to be known is what was behind you buying or building a house bigger than you needed that cost you more money than you needed and got you in more debt than you should have gotten yourself into. And it made no sense. It made no sense to do it. But you had a lot of good reasons you told people, but the real reason, and you may not have even been aware of it, but the real reason you did it was simply because you're trying to create an image. You're wanting people to know you as somebody and for something, and that house helps build the image that you want. It helps you feel good because it taps into and begins to feed this desire. For known. For some of you, it shows up in humble brags. You're in the middle of conversations, and you always seem to drop in when you're with certain people. You drop in, hey, you know what my kids have been doing? Hey, you know what I accomplished? Hey, you know what my you know, boyfriend or my girlfriend accomplished? Whatever. You're always dropping these things in. Again, there's nothing wrong with talking about that stuff. I'm not saying that's bad. But if you paused and got to the root of why you keep bringing that up, it's because you want them to see you in a certain way, and so you're going to drop this information in. So that you'll be known a certain way as a certain somebody or for a certain thing. Shows up in a lot of different ways. For some of you, it shows up in the way you look. Again, nothing wrong with looking nice, but the thing that actually drives why you're looking nice is not a good motivation. It's, again, back to image. And then you and her, you and him, you're ready to go out to the party. And ladies, you've had this experience, not to pick on you, but you've had this experience. You're about to go to the party, and you look over at him, 
and you're getting ready to walk out the door and you think, oh no, you're not walking out the door with me looking like that. That doesn't match. That didn't match the last time or the last time or the time before it. And so you're like, nope, you got to go change. Here, let me, you know. And again, nothing wrong with that if the motivation is right. But sometimes the motivation is I am not walking into that setting with him or her looking like that. And everybody is, I want everybody to envy me, not pity me. They're all going to pity me when they see, you know. We, we've all been there, haven't we? At the root of all of that is this desire, which is not a bad desire in and of itself. It is a desire to be known. A desire to be known as somebody or a desire to be known for something. It's a, it's a desire that I think was hardwired in us by our Heavenly Father, but if you get on an unhealthy path to satisfy that desire, you'll end up derailing your life. It will end up creating so much pride in you that it eats away at your soul. So the question is, how do you handle this desire in a healthy way? Because you can't escape it, and the point of this today is not to, oh, you should try not to be known, and you should try to get rid of the desire. No, you can't. But how do you manage it in a healthy way? How do you manage it in a way that contributes to your fulfillment and significance in life, that contributes to the richness of your relationships? It doesn't diminish you, and it doesn't diminish others. Well, fortunately to our rescue... To help us figure out the answer to that question comes a guy who was incredibly well-known in the first century and incredibly well-known in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. He was a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, I want a little crowd participation here for just a second. And if, you, uh, if the answer to this question for you is no, do not feel bad at all. You didn't do anything wrong. But I'm just curious, before I just mentioned his name, how many of you had heard of John the Baptist? Raise your hand for just a second. Yeah, okay, okay. That's exactly what I thought. This guy was really well-known. Like, let me ask you something. Who, who do you think, how many people do you think are going to be talking about you 2,000 years from now? Okay, that's what I thought. 200 years from now, not going to happen. Some of us are skeptical about 20 years from now being remembered, aren't we? So, so my, the reason I bring that up is because the goal of this, or the point of this today, is not to try to show you or tell you you should avoid being known. There is nothing wrong with being known. John the Baptist was well-known in a way none of us will be known. The goal is to manage your knownness in a way that it benefits you and doesn't hurt you, that it benefits others and doesn't hurt others. So, in two different accounts of Jesus' life, the one that Mark wrote, Mark got his uh, information from Peter, the disciple Peter, and the one that John wrote, this is a bit confusing, but not John the Baptist, but John, the disciple of Jesus, one of Jesus' closest disciples, Mark and John both wrote accounts of Jesus' life, and John the Baptist plays a key role in both of their accounts. And so I want to read you what Mark said, and then I want to read you what John the disciple said, both about John the Baptist or John the baptizer, because John the Baptist teaches us, gives us some extraordinary insight in the way he handled his knownness to help us keep our knownness from eating us alive. So here's what Mark says about him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, talking about by the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So when John steps on the scene, he doesn't step on the scene in Jerusalem. He doesn't step on the scene in some other big city. He steps on the scene in the wilderness. And he has a very simple message that at first just a handful of people were hearing, but as you're going to see in a minute, it began to spread. His message was simply this. You need forgiveness from God. Well, why do I need forgiveness from God, John? Because you're a sinner. Well, thank you. That wasn't very nice. He'd say, no, I'm just telling you. You're a sinner. What do you mean I'm a sinner? 
By sin, I just mean you are out of line with God's design. You're living out of line with God's design for your life. By sin, I mean you have hurt people whom God loves. And by hurting people whom God loves, you have hurt and offended God as well. By sinner, I mean you have broken your relationship with God. Well, what do I do about that? John says, well, I'll tell you what you do. Here's my message. You need to repent. Repent. Well, the churches have taken this and, and kind of hijacked the term. But repent is not a spiritual term. Repent just means change direction. That's it. John said, I'll tell you what you need to do. God is on the way, and he was the forerunner to Jesus. You're going to see that in a minute. John's goal was to say, there's God right there. He's shown up on earth. God is on the way. You better straighten up. You better change direction. You need forgiveness from God. Jesus is going to make it possible, but you better get yourself in position to be able to experience it. And the way you do that is you pay attention to what God is about to do. Don't miss it. So change direction. Repent. This was a very simple message. You need forgiveness because you're a sinner. So repent, and God will give you forgiveness. Change direction. God will give you forgiveness. And when John taught this, First dozens, and then hundreds, and then thousands of people started listening and doing what he said. It became a huge deal. It became buzzed throughout the entire nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, Mark goes on, he says this, The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, went out to John the Baptist, out there in the wilderness, confessing their sins. You know what confess means? It just means to say the same thing about your sin God does, just to agree. Yep, that was unloving towards them. Yep, that hurt them. Yep, that broke our relationship, God. I want to deal with it and address it. I don't want to keep doing that. That's all confess means. Confessing their sins, Mark says, they were baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Now, when it says the whole Judean countryside and all the people, this isn't literal, okay? Mark's just saying it was a large, large, large group of people. It would be like, you know, we say sometimes if you were at the uh, Belmont game this year here, people would say, Man, the whole town was at the Belmont game. Well, no, the whole town wasn't at the Belmont game. It was just packed. It was just a lot of people at the Belmont game. That's what Mark's doing here. He's not saying literally everybody showed up. He's just saying, man, there are a lot of people listening to John. They were listening to him by the thousands, and they were hearing this message, hey, you need forgiveness. Jesus is coming to provide it, so repent and follow him. And as people began to do that, then John did something that was very unusual. John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, this is how he got that name, that nickname, by the way. He was looking at people saying, okay, if you're believing, if you're choosing to repent, I don't want you just to do that in your heart and then walk away. I want you to make it public. I want you to commit to it publicly. And the way you're going to commit to it publicly is, you're going to come down here in the Jordan River, and I'm going to baptize or immerse you in the water. Now, the Jewish people, whenever a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, they had a process that someone followed to do that. And that Gentile, part of the process was they would immerse themselves in water to indicate, hey, I have a new identity. I'm, I'm, pra- I'm a practicing Jew now. And John is borrowing from that idea, John the baptizer, and saying, okay, we're going to do that, only I'm going to immerse you. Now, as best we know, this is the first time in history that a person ever immersed another person this way in some symbolic way. So this, is, this two-person baptism, this is a brand new thing on the scene. And John becomes known for it. And people line up by the hundreds and then the thousands, and they're letting John immerse them. And word gets throughout, I'm telling you, this is a story throughout the whole country, to the point that there were some religious people, the powers that be in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and Sadducees, 
This became such a big deal that those people heard about John and began to be concerned about what he was doing because those people had knownness, and they wanted to protect their knownness as best they could, and it appeared somebody else had stepped on the scene that was attracting more followers and might steal from their knownness, so they are like, no, no, no. And there was buzz throughout the whole land that maybe this is a Messiah. The Jews have been waiting for God to show up on earth as a person, and they called him the Messiah. So they were thinking, maybe John's the Messiah. Look at all the people following. So these religious leaders are hearing this going, we got to figure out who this is and whether he's a threat to us. And so John, the disciple, the disciple of Jesus John, he tells us in his account that these religious powers decide to send a team of people out to the Jordan River. It was like a, a day's walk to get out there. People were walking a day, two days to see John the Baptist. It was a big deal. So they decide we're going to send a team, and we're going to have that team question John the Baptist and figure out exactly who he is. So here's what John the disciple tells us about that. He says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, John the Baptist didn't, but confess freely. I am not the Messiah. So right off the bat, John the Baptist looks at him and says, no, no, you guys think that's who I am or that's who I'm claiming to be? That's not me. So he just kills the buzz right there. But he goes on. They, they're like, well, we've got to figure out who you are. So if you're not the Messiah, then let's ask you some more questions. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? Maybe you're Elijah. Come back to life. John the Baptist is like, no, are you kidding me? I'm not Elijah. Well, he, he said, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet? And John the Baptist answered, no. And finally, they said, well, who are you? Because we can't go back to Jerusalem and just tell them all the things you're not. We were sent here to figure out who you are so they know whether you're a threat. So you've got you to give us an answer. Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, this was John's moment. This was John's moment to say, well, let me tell you who I am and create an image for himself. And it would have been true. This was John's moment to look at them and say, you go back and tell all those religious powers, I'm the most popular preacher in this country right now. It's not them. I'm the most popular preacher in this country. I got the coolest church going on. And yes, it's out here in the desert. We have no air conditioning and we don't have any seats and nobody cares. That's how great I am. They'll just stand here or sit on the ground and listen to me all day. We got a thing going on. And oh, have you noticed how far? Just interview some of them. Ask them how far they're walking. Ask them how many days it takes for them to get here. They're taking vacation time to come listen to me preach. So yeah, I'm a big deal. This was John's chance to help them to understand the truth about what was happening, and to build his platform, his brand, if you will. But that is not what John does. He responds with a perspective on himself that is so healthy, so humble. And I'm telling you, if we could ever gain this type of healthy, humble perspective, it would change the nature of all of our relationships. And it would change the nature of the battle going on inside of us, created by pride. Here's what John the Baptist says. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He quotes Isaiah. He says, you go back and tell them this. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. This was John the Baptist's way of saying, because they knew what this meant. This was John the Baptist's way of saying, you go back and tell them I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the main attraction. I'm not a big deal. I'm just a voice that's going to make sure people know the Messiah when he comes. I'm just a voice. I'm just here to put the spotlight on somebody else. I'm like a tour guide on a safari ride. Have you guys ever done that safari ride at Disney or maybe you're at a zoo and you do the train ride? 
When you get on one of those rides, what happens? You hear a voice. It's the guy or it's the lady in the very front of the deal. You never see their face. You don't know who they are. You don't even care. Why? Because the whole point of the ride is not to meet the tour guide. The whole point of the ride is to see the doggone lion. That's the whole point of the ride, isn't it? So you hear this voice coming over the speaker going, and to your left are the elephants. Woohoo! And to your right are the giraffes. Oh, boy, aren't they pretty. And to your left are the, and you're in Florida, but it looks like Africa, and everybody's just waiting for the lion. And you finally get to the lion, and the tour guide's whole goal is to say, okay, you've been waiting. Right there's the lion. And the lions are hard to see sometimes. Those suckers don't cooperate. They want to hide. So the tour guide has to know where all the hiding spots are and go, hey, I know he's hard to see, but that lion is right over there. And then everybody oozes and ahs and takes pictures. This was what John the Baptist was saying. I am nothing more than a tour guide on a safari ride. I'm just the voice you hear. I am not the main attraction. I'm here to point out the main attraction. The Messiah is on his way. God has shown up on earth. We haven't seen him yet. We haven't figured it out yet. But when we see him, when I see him, I will know. And my whole goal, the whole reason I've got all this knownness, the whole reason I've got this big following is just to be a tour guide on a safari ride and say he's there. There's the lion. There's the main attraction when the time comes. That was his perspective on himself. Thousands of people following him, thousands of people listening to him. None of it had gone to his head. You know how rare that is because you know today it doesn't take much at all for things to start going to our head. And you know how hard it is when people become famous for them to stay grounded. It didn't, John didn't fall into that trap. The pride didn't get him. He just, but it was because he had the right perspective. I'm just, I'm just a voice. I'm just a tour guide on a safari ride. And sure enough, as timing would have it, the very next day, Jesus showed up. And here's what took place. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he's got hundreds, maybe thousands of people out there that day. And he stops what he's doing. He stops baptizing. He stops preaching. And he says, look, 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 look. You know what I've been talking about? Right there he is. Look, I'm just a voice. There's the main attraction. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away or picks up and carries off the sin of the world, the one that we have needed to make it possible for us to have forgiveness with God, right there he is. It's not about me, it's about him. There's the one we've been looking for. And everybody turns and they look, and John and Jesus have an interaction. You can read that for yourself. It's pretty interesting. And then... At the end of the day, John the Baptist, who has his own disciples, his own team of people who are close to him, they're processing all of this, and John says, guys, that's exactly why I told you we were out here doing what we were doing, so we could point him out, so nobody would miss him when he showed up. And they're trying to figure it out, but they're not sure. And the next day, Jesus shows up again as John and his team are doing what they're doing. But something happens that catches the attention of John's disciples. Here's what happens next. When the two, so he had a group, when two of his disciples heard John say, there he is again, you see him, there he is, he's the one I told you about, they followed Jesus. Which if you're a church person, you think, well, isn't that nice? That's what they should do. But you know what this means? This means they also unfollowed John. They looked at John and they said, John, this has been amazing. It's been like a, a 
being on a rocket ship. This, you know, your popularity and all, thousands of people following you, it's been so incredible to be a small part of this close-knit team that's made all of this possible. Thanks for the opportunity, John. But we think he's the main attraction now, and John went, yep, he is. So we're leaving your team, and we're going to his team. You ever been unfollowed by somebody? Man, it can mess with your head, can it? You're like, well, what did I do to offend them? I don't know. Why don't they like me anymore? Some of you get all obsessed with that. Well, that could easily have happened to John. It did happen to the rest of John's disciples, the rest of John's team. They, couldn't, they hated it. They couldn't figure it out. It bothered them deeply. It didn't bother John any, though. John was fine with it. Because, again, he knew. His perspective was, I'm just a tour guide on a safari ride. They just saw the main attraction, and they just head, headed over there. That's exactly who they should be following. They don't need to follow me anymore. But for the rest of John's team, oh, my goodness. As a matter of fact, it, it bothered them so bad that a few weeks later, as they're watching what's happening, as they're watching the crowds leave John and go towards Jesus, they have this moment where it's just, you can feel the tension in the conversation. They have this moment where they confront John the Baptist, and they're like, we've got to do something about this. Here's what happened. They came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi, which was a term of respect. This was their way of saying, hey, we see all these other people leaving and unfollowing you, John, but we still think you're the man. We're going to stay with you. And then they say, Rabbi, that man, they're talking about Jesus, but they can't even say his name. They're just so angry at him. That man, that man, that man, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, you know the one you testified about? You know, he, nobody would know who he was if it wasn't for you. Well, that man, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him, which means everyone is leaving us. John. You're the one who created two-person baptisms. That's what you're known for. By golly, that's your nickname. You're the one who came up with that. You're the one who was so creative. And then Jesus comes along, and he just stole your two-person baptism. And he's doing it right down there, and everybody's wanting him to do it now. Did you file a patent on that two-person? I told you to file a patent on it. We take him, you know, this was their attitude. We can't believe he's doing what we're doing. He's stealing our stuff. And I think John the Baptist just kind of, sat there and rolled his eyes like, oh man, y'all still don't get it. You think it's all about us and what we're trying to do, and we're trying to build a platform. We're trying to build a following. And so John responds by explaining something to them, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, what he explains next is the insight, is the path that will keep you and me from allowing this desire for knownness to derail us. What John says next will prepare you for the day when somebody comes along and is smarter than you, prettier than you, a better leader than you, out, you know, outsells you, they break all your sales records, becomes the most important person in the workplace and it's not you anymore. The next time somebody comes along and they can do your job better than you, the next time somebody comes along and they're more popular than you and everybody wants to hang out with them and not you now, what John says next will prepare you for the day when you have fewer friends, fewer followers, and less knownness. He looks back at these guys and he says this, a person can receive only what is given him from heaven. In other words, hey, hey, hey guys, listen, 
yeah, we had thousands of people following. And yeah, we worked hard and we did our best. But there are all kinds of people who work hard and do their best and they don't have the results we had. Those results were given to us by our Heavenly Father for a reason. And that means if they were given to us by God, then when the reason's done, they can be taken away by God and we should be okay with that. Besides, guys, besides, I told you from the beginning I was not the main attraction. I told you from the beginning I was just a tour guide on a safari ride. I was just a voice. Remember, he says, remember, you yourselves can testify that I said to you, I am not the Messiah. I am sent ahead of him to point him out. And when my job is done, then my job is done. And then John the Baptist makes a statement that gets right to the heart of this. There's so much humility in this. This is a statement that if you don't hold on to anything else, you should hold on to this. He says, he, talking about Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He says, I know, I know. People are leaving me. That's okay. People are following him instead of me. It's not, not a big deal. Because he's the main attraction. So I must become greater. Or he must become greater. I must become less. That's the whole point. The whole point is to make sure everybody on the ride sees the lion. Not to make sure they all know me. So what do you do with that in a practical way? I'm going to be honest. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, or if you consider yourself a Christian, but following Jesus really isn't that important to you, I'm not being critical, it's just not a high priority for you to actually orient and align your life around how Jesus said to live. If that's not a big deal to you, I don't know how to help you with this. I'm just being upfront. You're smart. You will figure something out, I have no doubt. But I don't know what to tell you to make sure pride doesn't end up eating away at your soul, to make sure this desire for knownness doesn't wreck you like we've seen it wreck so many people. I don't know what to do for you. You'll figure that out. But for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who seriously are trying to follow Jesus, then here's what this means for us. Here is the healthy way you handle this desire for knownness. You take whatever knownness you have, whatever influence, whatever platform, whatever brand, whatever you want to use, you take whatever knownness you have, and you do not treat it as an ends in itself. It is not, it's not worth being an end. It's not capable of being an end. If you make it an end, it will destroy you. Instead, you treat it as a means to a greater end. This is how you keep it from wrecking your life. You take whatever influence, whatever success, whatever knownness, whatever blessings you have, and you treat them as a means to a greater end. You say, okay, I'm going to take this knownness, I'm going to take these blessings, I'm going to take this influence, and I'm not going to make them about me. I'm going to make them about my Heavenly Father. I'm going to figure out how to use whatever He's placed in my hand because I think He's given it to me, and I'm going to use it to point people to Him. I'm going to use it to help people see how much He cares about them. I'm going to use it to put the spotlight on Him. I'm just a voice. And God's given me whatever platform He's given me, whatever influence He's given me, whatever knownness He's given me, but I am just a voice. I am just a tour guide on a safari ride. In the end, I am not the main attraction. 
And so I'm not going to live and treat this as if I am the main attraction. Because if I do, what will happen? If you make this an end in and of itself, you will protect it at all costs, and it will cost you greatly. You will be full of comparison, full of greed, full of envy, full of jealousy, full of insecurity, and full of pride. You want to be free from all that? You hold it with open hands. And you say, I'm just going to use this as a means to a greater end. You say, well, Matt, how do you do that? I, I don't know exactly all the steps of how you do that. But here is a first step that I think would help a lot of us. I know it helps me. Maybe you should just begin this week by waking up every morning and reminding yourself of this simple idea. He must become greater. I must become less. I'm so grateful for everything I have. I'm so grateful for the influence, for the power, for the extra resources. I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful. But I'm not going to make it about me. I'm not building my own kingdom. He must become greater. I must become less. And so if today is the day that God begins to remove some of that, it's okay. Because it's not about me anyway. God's given me what he's given me to accomplish the purpose for which he put me on this earth and when I don't need that stuff to accomplish that purpose anymore, he can take it away. And I'm okay. Because it's just a means to a greater end. So, tomorrow, I don't want you to misunderstand. Tomorrow, you ought to wake up and you ought to give your very best at what you do. You ought to outwork everybody. You ought to outsell everybody. You ought to outstudy everybody. You ought to out-earn everybody. You, you ought to just blow it away and do as best you can and get as much as you can possibly get. But you don't do it for your own benefit. You do it so that you have more knownness, more influence, more resources to use for the benefit of others. You have a bigger opportunity to be a voice and to point people to your heavenly Father. And as you outwork and outstudy and outearn and out everything, everybody around you, you remember who it's from and you remember who it's for. And if you do that today and then the next day and the next day and the next day, and every time you find that pride starting to well up and you want to be known and you want to say something or you want them to see that or you want to buy that or you want to accomplish that so people will think certain thing about you, you go, whoa, 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 there's that thing in me. And that's not a bad desire. But it's not about me. He must become greater, I must become less. I, it's okay to want to be known, God put that in me, but I want to be known by the right somebody, my Heavenly Father, and I want to be known for the right something, that I lived a life where I fulfilled His purpose for my life, and I love people the way He would want me to love people. I used my life, not as an ends, but my life was a means to a greater purpose and a greater end. If you'll do that day after day after day after day. One day, you will hear your heavenly father say, hey, well done, daughter. Well done, son. You didn't let all that inside of you kill you. You stayed true to who I made you to be. You stayed focused on what mattered most. You didn't let pride derail you. You killed it. You killed it. Let me pray for us. Father, what this looks like for all of us is different. And it's so hard to see in ourselves sometimes. So would you, I guess this week, first of all, just when this starts to bubble up in us 
and we start doing something because we're trying to satisfy this God-given desire for known, but do it in an unhealthy way, would you just point it out and help us to at least be aware? Oh, there it is. And maybe, just maybe, God, in those moments, we'll be wise enough to remind ourselves, nope, this isn't about me. You must become greater. We must become less. And in becoming less, we actually find the life we most wanted to live because we weren't created to be an end in ourselves. We were created to be a means to a greater end, and that's where value is found. So whatever it takes, help us to see this, help us to practice it. Help us to root it out and kill the pride that rattles around in all of us before it kills what matters most to us. Thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating exactly what this looks like when you didn't have to. But you were more humble than any of us. You showed us what humility looked like, so help us to follow that example. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.